Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. I'm glad that you're with us this morning and ready to study the Bible because that's all we do on this program is spend 30 minutes answering questions. We get questions from our viewing audience and we try to answer them as fast as we can and get as many as we can each week uh, just so everybody will know their Bible a little bit better. So that's all this program is about is Bible study and we're glad that you've joined us today and Hope that you learned something new about the Bible. I'm Steve Tandy, and this is Toby Levering sitting beside me here. Hi, Steve. Morning, Toby. Ready to study some of these questions with our viewers. And, uh, well, we get so many good questions, but we always give one to our viewers to just start things out. So here's your trivia question of the day. A lady in the Bible named Rahab. What was her occupation? You can find her in the Old Testament. And Rahab had kind of an unusual occupation to be famous in the Bible. So we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that touch of Bible trivia. Uh, looks like I drew the first one. So here we go. Were there real giants in the Old Testament? Well, let's just read a verse from the Old Testament and see if it mentions giants. And Numbers chapter 13 is a good place to look. Verses 32 and 33, uh, this is a report of the spies that had gone over into Canaan and came back and reported it. And they said, all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. Uh, the, and then the author, Moses, writes in parentheses, the descendants of Anak came from giants. So the Anakim uh, were giant people, it says. So answer the question, were there real giants in the Old Testament? Obviously, there were real giants in the Old Testament. Now, some people try to make that into some uh, superhuman or half-human, half-divine, mythological kind of creature. I think that's out of line. We don't have any uh, evidence that anything like that happened. Uh, but there were big people and called giants. And that shouldn't surprise us too much because we've got big people. Uh, we've got giants today. Uh, there are people that are larger than others. There are people that have a, a hormone problem that grow exceptionally large. I looked it up just to check, and uh, from what I could find, the tallest guy ever was eight foot eleven. A fellow named Robert Wadlow was eight foot eleven. That's that's a big person. Uh, in fact, the interesting thing I found was it took twelve pallbearers to Whoa. carry him his coffin. <laughs> He was eight foot eleven, weighed four hundred and ninety pounds. By the way, so he was a big man. Uh, so we've got giants today. Uh, they had giants in the Bible. Evidently, there were some races that were just, or tribes that were just taller than others. Um, so I think that's all there is to it. We don't know how big they were. Uh, the only one we have a height on is Goliath. 
and it says that he was six cubits in a span. Uh, a cubit is the distance between your elbow and the tip of your finger. Uh, and most people just rough it around to 18 inches. I measured mine, Toby, about 21 inches is <laughs> my cubit there. Uh, but if it's yeah. 18 inches and then a span is the width of your hand, about nine inches usually. So that would make uh, Goliath somewhere over nine feet tall, nine foot six or thereabouts. So they had some big people in the Old Testament. We've got some big people today. Uh, nothing extraordinary about it or special about it. They were just big people back then. <laughs> All righty, what's your viewer want to know about well, today? Well, we have a... Sort of a, a judging question, okay. I'll put it that All way. Right, let's do it. Uh, that is, uh, why do so many so-called Christians judge people and jump to con conclusions? I might point out that your question seems a little judgy. Uh, it, it, um, let, let's start with uh, the, the, the premise of uh, this. Um, why do so many so-called Christians judge people? And I, I think there is a sentiment that they're are some people who would identify with Christ who tend to put themselves on a pedestal and look down at everyone else. Um, Jesus would call that uh, looking at the splinter in someone else's eye while ignoring the plank in your own. Uh, they, they had an unreasonable standard of judgment or an inconsistent <clears throat> standard of judgment, judging harshly with everyone else, judging mercifully with ourselves. And we have to be careful that we don't do that as well. It's easy to get caught up in, in having an inconsistent standard for others than we have for ourselves. Now, probably the best known verse on, on judging uh, that not only Christians know, but certainly people in the world know, is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. In fact, it's not even verses 1 and 2. It's just the first two words is kind of the only part that they remember. But let's look at it in context. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. For uh, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, as I said, the world understands that verse only in the first two words. And I think the enemy, uh, Satan, has used this verse and twisted it in a way where the world says, hey, the Bible says judge not. So who are you to say to me that anything is wrong, that any behavior is ungodly? Uh, and it's used to sort of say, well, you know, if you're a Christian, you just got to love and accept every kind of behavior and every sort of action. Well, that's not what Jesus taught at all. Uh, Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 7 of what kind of person to be, what kind of people ought you to be. And he says, look, the judgment that you use is the judgment that will be measured to you, uh, which is exactly true. We know that. Uh, we, we understand that there are people who are merciful and graceful with other people. Uh, they're understanding, not that they accept sin, but they, they are patient with people and understand that, that God's going to work through that situation if they'll let them and they're generous and they're gracious uh, in their relationships with other people well those people naturally have lots of friends uh, even people that are worldly uh, look to them for advice and counsel uh, because they they see a consistency in their life there are people that are very harsh very uh, 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 unrelenting unmerciful in how they judge other people 
And yet when it comes to their own sin, they, they are not that way. And so people don't respect that. And people say, ah, you know, I, I don't want to be around that person. They don't, these are people of very little influence because they don't have any relationships. So it, it, Matthew chapter 7, 1 and 2 is not commanding that Christians uh, be so um, open-minded that they, uh, they, their brains fall out. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 uh, the Apostle Paul said uh, that the, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, uh, meaning that if you're a Christian, you got to think in this world. You've you got to use your brain that God gave you and, and be discerning about how you live your life and whether behaviors are right or wrong and if you can participate in them or not. So that's why we encourage personal Bible study on Know Your Bible because we want people to think and, and to think and reason about the scriptures in a way that they can apply them to their lives. To do that requires judgment. We have to be able to do that. But what Jesus is talking about here and what people don't like is having uh, inconsistent standards of judging where we use one standard for everybody else and a different standard for ourselves. I, I hope that helps you. I can't speak for why so-called Christians will judge everybody. I just think that we all naturally do it. And what Jesus wants us to do is try to be more consistent and to line ourselves up with God's word. Great answer. And uh, that's a very popular verse that you read. Very popular two words, right? (laughs) Judge not. Judge not. I think that's the favorite verse in the world right now. If you took a poll of everybody and asked them to quote one Bible verse, probably you'd get a lot of people that could quote that one. Judge not. You can't judge me (laughs) about anything. Uh, But like you said, the Bible's full of judgment. Uh, You know, discern between good and evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Evil companions are bad for you. You know, Mm -hmm. pick good people to be around. Well, you can't do that without judging. You got to judge. So uh, don't be harshly judgmental and overly critical and all that but man you got to judge and like you started out funny thing about it is the people that love this verse (laughs) are the first to tell you you can't judge you know you've got a problem uh, because you think something's wrong here so yep famous verse and uh, abused verse shall we say very much so all right, let's talk about being a witness. A viewer wants to know, how does someone go about being a good witness? Well, I assume being a good witness for Christ is what they're talking about. Uh, and some people have an idea that being a witness requires uh, constant, uh, constant uh, confrontation of people. Uh, standing on a street corner with a sign that says the end is coming and telling everybody about Jesus is is one way to be a witness, I guess. Uh, Spending all your time knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus is a fine thing to do. Uh, But that's not how the Bible defines a good witness. Uh, And I'm not condemning those things or uh, any way that you want to be a witness uh, but it doesn't have to be so overt, so confrontational. Uh, the Bible has a little different take on it, I think. And I want to read just two verses to you, two passages, that I think give you a pretty good summary of the Bible's definition of a good witness. And certainly some are evangelists and some are missionaries, and, and some people have gifts for that. But listen to what the Bible says to all Christians. Let's start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. 
And Peter told the Christians he was writing to, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter says, here's the first step. Live such good lives among people that need a witness, among the pagans, people that don't know about Jesus. Live such good lives among you that even though they think something wrong with Christianity, they see how you live. They see your good deeds. Uh, and when Jesus comes back, they're glorifying. Okay, so there's the first step. Live such good lives that people notice, that they see you're a good person. All right, let's go to First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And he says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. All right, there's the second step. First, live a good life. And then when people ask you, why do you have such hope? Uh, why do you act the way you do? Uh, why do things that bother everybody else not bother you? That's the hope of Christ. Be ready to give an answer, but do it with gentleness and respect. All right, there's a pretty good manual for being a witness. Live a good life. People will notice that you're different than everybody else. Uh, you've had a tragedy in your life. You've had uh, trials, tribulations, and you handle them differently. You seem to trust in a higher power. People notice that in this world. Uh, you don't behave. You don't uh, live like everybody else. You don't... Uh, uh, you don't live like the world, and people will notice that. And sometimes people will ask, why are you like that? Uh, he said, then be ready to give an answer. You tell them about Jesus. Okay, so that's a pretty good handbook for <laughs> being a good witness, and work on that, and uh, you may go on to do other things and witness in other ways and uh, become famous doing it. But for the basic average Christian, live a good life, always be ready to give an answer, tell people about Jesus when you have the chance. So hope that helps. Uh, studying the Bible, something that we're pretty serious about on this program. You notice we always turn to the Bible for our answers on this program. And we think the Bible is God's handbook for everything we need. In fact, it says uh, it's got everything we need for life and godliness. So we want to study the Bible, and we want you to study the Bible a little beyond what we do on this program. So we've got some tools uh, that we think are a great way to do it. We've got a number of different courses. This was the first introductory course. It's just a real basic Bible study. Uh, starts with the first two books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Helps you understand those. And then we've got other courses that go beyond that. Uh, you see one there on the bottom left, How We Got Our Bible. Uh, that's a long course and starts with the basics of how we got our Bible and goes through a lot of Bible study. Uh, you can stay busy a long time studying our courses, and we think they're a great way for you to get to know your Bible. Uh, you'll notice a website and a phone number on the screen all the time. You can use either one of those to get in touch with us. Just tell us you want that free course. We'll start you out with the basic one. You can go through that as fast or as slow as you want. And once you're done with it, you decide, do I want to study some more or 
there's enough for me. Uh, most people go all the way through all our courses and learn a lot about the Bible. So we invite you to do that. Give us a call or log on and we'll get you started. All right, Toby, your turn. A question we get from time to time on Know Your Bible, a question about cremation. Uh, this viewer asks, will being, will being cremated cause me to go to hell? And my answer to that is no. Uh, being cremated will not cause you to go to hell. Uh, what causes a person to go to hell uh, has to do with their uh, whether they are in Christ or not, whether they've chosen to do as he said to do, to follow him or not. Uh, and that, all, of course, all of those things happen before we die. Hebrews 9.12 says it's appointed to a man once to die and after that to face the judgment. So what happens in, in, to you in eternity has everything to do with before you die, not after you die. A cremation question is about uh, what to do with the body after you die. And, of course, it's a very sensitive topic. Some people really have a, a, a problem with it. It's just sort of a stigma of, of burning the body and reducing it to basically ashes. I'll, I'll say in, you know, that cremation basically speeds up the process. Um, of course, now with the, all the ways they have of uh, taking care of a body, it, it may take several hundred years, but eventually the body uh, decomposes enough, it always gets to that point. So it's just uh, speeding up the process. It's a different way of doing it. Does the Bible speak to cremation? Is there anything uh, morally wrong or is it sinful in any way? No. The Bible says nothing in regard to cremation with regards to that. In fact, it says very little about cremation at all, only maybe to mention it. Uh, uh, in, in, in that it occurred. First Samuel 31 is probably a, a well-known example where the Philistines had killed Saul and his men and just basically mutilated the body. And so the Israelites the, uh, went up and, and took the, the bodies down and they cremated the bodies as, as a, I think, just for a practical way of, of disposing of the bodies of Saul and his men. So uh, it was something that happened, but the Bible does not speak in any way for or against cremation, uh, which to me, any issue like that where the Bible has no specific direction, uh, that's something that God's left up to us. And so that's what we say on this program. If you're thinking about cremation uh, for yourself, uh, you want to make sure that you discuss that and that you let your family know, because one of the hardest things, and Steve uh, certainly can attest to this as well when we're uh, working with a, f uh, a family uh, over their loved one, the deceased, and that issue comes up. If it hasn't been discussed, boy, it just causes all sorts of difficulties. It's very hard for a family to have to decide that when they're already uh, typically very <clears throat> emotional. So decide that beforehand. Tell your family. Discuss it with them. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. But the Bible doesn't say anything, and there, there's really no problem in terms of the final Resurrection. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the screen. Verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, uh, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So uh, it has everything to do with the spiritual body in terms of eternity. Uh, cremation has to do with the physical body. Dis discuss that, decide that with your family, and make sure everybody's aware of what your decision is. All righty. A uh, question about a specific disease. A viewer wants to know if God will cure it. Uh, says, I have multiple sclerosis that they say is incurable. Uh, do you think God will cure it for me? Well, very serious uh, emotional question, and we've received other questions like this about other diseases and want to know, will God cure that? Can God cure that? And I think you'll notice a little difference between this program and some other religious 
TV programs that uh, promise, yeah, they, we can get you a cure for this or that or the other. Uh, it requires some donations and it requires a lot of faith and requires this and that. Uh, we don't go there. That's not the way we believe the Bible teaches. Uh, I'll tell you, God can cure it. God can cure anything. Uh, but whether he will or not, uh, I can't answer because I don't know his will uh, perfectly in every matter. I'll tell you what we do believe on this program is that the Bible says to pray for the sick. It doesn't limit uh, the degree of sickness or it doesn't qualify it by what doctors say. It just says pray for the sick. Uh, so we do that. Uh, we do that uh, personally. We do that at uh, our home church. We often have full public prayers for a specific case uh, where we want God to heal that person. Uh, we believe in prayer. And over the years, we've seen some amazing things. Uh, we've seen cures where the doctor had said there's no cure. Uh, we've seen things clear up that the doctor said this is there and it's going to be a huge problem and we've prayed about it. Uh, then the problem isn't there. So we've seen that often, but not always. Uh, that's because the Bible tells us to pray for the sick. It tells us to tell God what we want, and then he will do his will. Uh, so in summary, uh, we tell him our will, and then we submit to his will. Uh, we don't know all the purposes that God sees. We don't know uh, what good will come from what looks to us like something terrible. Uh, he promises that good will come from it, but we can't see it right now. So in your specific case, whoever asked this question, uh, yes, pray about it. Ask your friends to pray about it. Ask people at your church to pray about it. And God may choose to heal your specific situation. Uh, he may not, but good will come from it. And like Paul said, uh, our sufferings here uh, are just little for a little while, uh, and then we get a great reward. So, yes, pray about it, trust God, and hope, hope in Him that He'll provide a cure, uh, but then submit to His will, whatever that may be. I'll take a moment and invite you to visit a church near you, a Church of Christ, because Churches of Christ are the folks who provide this program for you, and we like to mention one or two of them each week and tell you who's sponsoring this program. Today, let me mention a couple on the east side of Wichita, Augusta, Kansas, and Wichita East Point Congregation. Uh, both are longtime supporters of this program and help keep us on the air, and we appreciate them. Uh, if you live out on the east side of Wichita or a little further east toward Augusta, you're looking for a good group of people that uh, worship and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program, you'd be warmly welcomed to either Augusta or East Point. Uh, tell them you've heard about them on Know Your Bible and drop in and visit them sometime. All right, Toby, I think we got one for you here. Yeah. Uh, viewer wants to know why are there so many different churches? And uh, boy, that's the one we can explain real quickly, right? No, I, I think you understand that if you drive down the road and you look at, I mean, certainly here in the United States, I mean, there's churches everywhere and it seems like there's new churches growing all the time. Why are there so many? Why are there so many different denominations? And well, we understand that uh, in the in the biblically speaking, Jesus said he only built one church. And uh, that's in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, which will be on the screen, I think. Um, 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus only understood uh, and told Peter there's only going to be one church, his church that was built as his body, um, now, how do we know which church that is? Well, what, what we t say on the uh, on the program here is look for a church uh, that preaches and teaches and abides by the Bible. Don't add any extra creeds. Don't add any extra man-made uh, doctrines or teachings. Just look for a church that preaches and teaches the Bible. We advertise churches on the program each week that we believe uh, do that, and there are many uh, churches that probably do that in your area. But always look to the Bible, not necessarily uh, the name on the, on the sign, as you, as you might say. Uh, there are many churches for a lot of different reasons, um, but we understand biblically speaking that there was one body, one bride, and uh, that's the group of people, not the building, the group of people that are faithful to the Lord Jesus. So you be faithful, uh, stick to his word, and, and do what it says. That is an interesting question. Why are there so many? And it certainly is not what God wanted. Uh, Jesus yeah. prayed for one Yep. for unity mm -hmm. uh, and if we had that somehow <laughs> people would see Christianity a whole lot differently than they I think do that's right. yep. uh, but people's selfish wills divide people and false doctrine comes from selfishness and yep. it just goes on and on like you said we don't have time to <laughs> trace the history of the church and all the divisions but uh, it's a sad thing is what yep. it is and that's one reason we uh, our plea is just study the Bible. That's the only way we could ever be one, is if we just study the Bible and do what it says. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a solution, but it's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Let me squeeze this one in. Did Jesus have any brothers and sisters? Certainly he did. The Bible's very clear about that. Matthew 13, verse 55, uh, when they saw Jesus in his hometown, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Uh, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? So Mary had other children after Jesus was born. Uh, she was a virgin when he was born, but then she obviously stayed married to Joseph and had other children. They had at least four brothers and at least two sisters because it says more than one. So that's six brothers and sisters at least, and maybe more. We don't know. So Bible names a few of them. Uh, so we know, yes, he had brothers and sisters. Um, don't think we have time for your last one. Why do you think you can squeeze that one in? All right, let's do it. When a uh, viewer asked the question, when you die and go to heaven, uh, do you become an angel or are you just a spirit? Well, uh, you are really, you're a soul. And when you die, your soul leaves the body and you become a, a spirit. Angels, the word angelos simply means servant. They are separately created beings, uh, created for different purposes. But as far as we know, when you die, your soul just, you simply become a spirit. And uh, could God make you an angel? I suppose so. You know, we don't really know much about that. But as, uh, spirits are different than angels. And that uh, seems that your soul, when it leaves the body, is a, is a spiritual one. So that's a short answer to a, a, a deep question, but uh, I think it's clear we're different than angels. Yeah, angels are created beings, I think. Yep. And I don't think 
Yeah. Well, I know we talk about it that way. We tell yeah. little kids somebody became an angel, and yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. a nice fairy tale way of thinking of things, right, but right. probably not very biblical. <laughs> All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. Rahab, what was her occupation? Uh, she didn't have a very fine occupation. She was a harlot, and uh, Joshua chapter 2-1 mentions that. She saved the spies, so she was good. We're glad you're with us today, and we're going to be back next week with more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.